We all good? Okay, Um, you can turn in your Bible to uh, Judges chapter 6, and we're going to be taking a look at the life of Gideon for the next couple of weeks. Um, The other day, um, I was coming out of a store, and somebody hit me up, and they said, hey, do you have any change? And I patted my pockets like this, and I said, I don't got it. And I thought about it, you know, there's a lot of things in life that's like that. Someone calls you up, hey, can you help me move this weekend? We're like, time? Why are you laughing? (laughs) You're like, I've gotten out of that one before. No, but, you know, like, um, you know, you'll be like, time? I don't got it. Someone comes, they pour out their heart, they got something going on in their life, and you're just like, advice? I don't got it. And our heart is there, and we want to help, we just don't got it. You know what I'm talking about? You know, living in, uh, living in South Africa uh, for those eight and a half years, there are a lot of those situations and encounters, you know, where we just, we just don't got it. You know, um, there was a, a soup kitchen ministry that we we're a part of, still are, the church is still a part of it, called Megda's Soup Kitchen. And, uh, and Megda's an amazing child of God. She, like, feeds, I think, 2,000 people, probably more, like a, like a week. And... Um, out of her house. <laughs> it's just awesome ministry. And, uh, but besides like the, she'll go to like points in the, in the city and kind of, you know, deliver food and stuff like that. But then she also has like a big meeting at a, at a local hall once a week on Fridays. And she sees, you know, that between three and 400 people a week there that she'll feed. And, um, and cause she loves Jesus so much, we worship you know, there's a time of worship, and it's all a cappella, and, uh, and then there's always preaching. She's got to have somebody preach there, and she asked me to do it regularly. Sometimes there'd be a guest, you know, local preacher or something would show up, and, and they would do it, but normally I, I'd do it, and there's this one week, and it was super busy. Like, I, I didn't have enough time to plan anything to say, and it, Friday came fast, and I was like on my way in the car going like, God help. I don't know what I'm going to say. Like I had no idea what I was going to say. And, uh, and, and, and I know you're like, bro, the Bible's a big book. Just pick something. You know, and I was like, I just couldn't. I just couldn't, you know. And it was, so, I just don't got it. I don't got it. And uh, they sang the songs. And I was like really praying somebody else would show up. You know what I mean? Just anyone. Just pick someone, anyone other than me, you know? And, um, and anyway, did a couple of songs of worship, and Magda, as she did almost every week, looked at me, and she said, Pasta? You know, almost like a question, like, you ready? And I, had, I didn't know what to say. And as I was walking to the front, okay, the Lord dropped in my heart, Cain and Abel. And I was like, where is that? No, I'm just kidding. I was like... <laughs> No, but I was like, Cain and Abel. So I turned to Genesis, and I read the story, and started explaining it, you know, talk about what it means, and then application to the stories came, and then I just started preaching the gospel, and then gave an invitation, and 65 people came pouring down to the front. (laughs) But what's crazy is I can't take any credit, right? That wasn't me. I didn't have all this prep time and stuff. I came, I don't got it. Where does the glory go? It has to go to God. 
Because I was empty, man, and he showed up and he had it. See, there's a lot of times where it's like, I don't got it. But God's like, I do. Now, I tell that story and I don't, you know, mean to, you know, I'm not, not insinuating that pastors and preachers should not prepare sermons. Because that's just laziness. You know what I'm saying? Like at this church, we are taught, we come prayed up, we come prepped up before we take the pulpit. That's what we're, right, right, Dave? Yeah, that's what we're taught here at CCT. Um, but you know what? The heart has to be there. You could come after hours of studying, but your heart should still be like, man, God, without you, I don't got it. I don't got it. So for the next two weeks, we're going to look at this guy, Gideon. Because in Gideon, like at the core of who he was, it was like, I don't got it. Through the whole story, that is like this guy. And in, out of all the people in, in the book of Judges, all the different judges, there is no one like Gideon who has just had this crisis of faith. Always asking God to prove it. Always asking for some kind of confirmation. He really, honestly felt in the core of who he was. I don't got it. So that's what we're going to look at. This, this morning we're going to look at chapter 6 and his calling. And then next week we'll look at chapter 7 and his battle. Okay? Okay. All right, let's do this. We're going to look at the first 10 verses. It says, When the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves dens and caves and strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, uh, Midian, the Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. And they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter into the land and destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. And Father, we just, we just pray that you bless this morning. We ask for your anointing upon this place that... God, you would just open up each of our hearts. Um, Lord, make the soil of our hearts receptive to your word this morning. Lord, we all come here and we have questions and doubts and fears and battles that we're all going through. And, and Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to come and do a work in each of our lives. And so I pray um, that you would just take this time and you'd even use me. <laughs> because I don't got it. <laughs> Lord, that you would just show up and do something here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So throughout the, the story of the judges, and, and much of 
much of Israel's history was like this broken cycle. And we all kind of know about this thing. Like God would be blessing them. They would be doing really great. Their eyes are on God. And then they get comfortable, right? And then they let the guard down. And then they start worshiping other idols, you know, and giving place to, to that stuff. And then the next thing you know, they're in bondage to the surrounding nations. And then they cry out to God, then God delivers them, then it's back to the top, and they're doing good with God. And it was just this constant kind of thing going on. And if, if you look back in chapter 5, um, it's that story of Deborah. Deborah and, uh, and Barak. And they have that incredible victory over the Canaanites. And then it says, the last verse in chapter 5 is, So the land had rest for 40 years. And there was peace. And they were doing good. But then they got comfortable. And then they start, you know what I mean? And the cycle continues on. And that's where we pick it up now in chapter 6. Now the Midianites oppressed the Israelites in this totally annoying way. Okay? They would plant their fields and their vineyards and, and all the rest. And then in the night, once the, the crops were mature and ready for harvest... The, the Midianites would come in and just pick the thing clean, burn the fields, and leave. Not a lot of talk of warfare, swords, and arrows. They just, in an annoying way, came and stole their food. And they'd wake up and it'd all be gone. It's like, does anybody have an older brother or sister here? You know what I mean? That's what this is. It's a noogie. It's just a noogie. You know what I mean? It's that kind of thing. Like you just, you're tired. You've had like the worst week of your life. So you buy 16 ounce Ben and Jerry's. You know what I mean? Like the Cherry Garcia one. Put it in the freezer. You're like, when I get home from work, I'm just going to chill. And you get home and it's an empty container. And your older brother, your older sister swooped in and ate that thing clean. You know what I mean? That's the kind of thing that's going on here with the Midianites. It's just annoying oppression. And verse 2 says that Israel was hiding in caves, strongholds, and mountains. They were overcome with fear. They'd totally forgotten who their God was. But they also totally forgot who they were. They were God's chosen people with a purpose. God had like selected them, remember? There's all these people and he looks at Abraham and he's like, you guys are mine. God was on their side. They forgot that. They totally forgot who they were. And the land that they lived in, God gave them that land. He didn't give that to the Midianites. If they would have chosen to stand up against the Midianites, no problem. But instead, they forgot who they were they forgot who their God was, and they went hiding out in caves and dens. And I'll tell you, idols do that. Man, you let idols in your life, it blinds you so bad. It messes us up in a big, big way. So this whole thing was going on for seven years. They didn't cry out to God for seven years. They're sitting in caves and dens, and I wonder, like, what did that look like? Did they just start, like, getting comfortable? They're like, you know this is fine. I don't mind living in a cave. They start moving their furniture from their homes up into the caves, you know, just totally cozy in their unrepentant state. I don't know. I don't know how it went, but it's just crazy to me. Here's the cool thing though. As soon as they cried out to God, the minute they lifted their eyes, 
This is like the first kind of act of repentance that we see in this text. And they're like, God, God sends a prophet immediately. And the prophet gives a word. It's a little harsh. It wasn't the kind that gives you the warm fuzzies. It's pretty tough. <laughs> but it's also full of reminders of who their God was. Hey, man, he's the one that parted the oceans for you. He's the one that wiped out the, the Egyptians for you. Don't forget. Don't forget. And then kind of finishes off with this do not fear kind of thing. And I just imagine that just echoing through the caves and the dens. Do not fear. What are you guys doing up there? And then in walks the hero. Okay, ready to meet the hero? Here he comes. Verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah. Not Winfrey. Do you know that Oprah means dust? No connection. or I'm just saying. Just saying. Okay. Which, which belonged to Joash, the Abedinzerite. While his son Gibeon, Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in, in order to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might um, of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Now, this is great. I love this part. Do you love this part? Come on, this is so good. So here's the, here's the answer to Israel's cries. <laughs> this guy hiding in a wine press. You know what I mean? Look, I'm no farmer. I can't keep a cactus alive, but I mean, this is like, you're not supposed to thresh wheat in a wine press. I'm sure of that. You know what I mean? If you're threshing wheat, you need some wind. So mountaintop is like ideal because, you know, you kind of throw the wheat in the air, the chaff blows away and the kernel falls down kind of a thing. A wine press is not ideal. Gideon was not threshing wheat in the wine press because it was better. That's like trying to fly a kite in Walmart or something like that. It's just not going to work, right? He was in there because he was terrified. He was afraid of the Midianites. And the Lord showed up. And this, a, lot of, a lot of people say that this, was, this is a Christophany. This is like an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. I'll go with that. And it's classic. He says to him, while he's, while he's hiding in the wine press, mighty man of valor. You mighty man of valor. And don't you wonder, like, like is he mocking him? It's like, hey, what's up, tough guy? You know what I mean? Just like, <laughs> oh, man. I don't think that's what was happening, though. That's not what was happening. Because you know what's cool about God? Is he sees us way different than we see ourselves. He sees us way different than we see ourselves. He sees us in our potential. He sees us in the, in the battles that we're going to win down the, down the line. He, he sees us in what he's making us to be. He says to you, he says to me, mighty man of valor, mighty woman of valor. 
Now that word valor means strength, courage, but it also means army, means massive force. And it's like he looks at this guy threshing wheat in a wine press. He says, you have the strength of an army behind you, Gideon. Sometimes I think like we as Christians are so busy hiding out. You know, look, this world is messed up. No doubt about it. On like every level. But guys, can I remind you? I need to remind myself too right now. We are still more than conquerors through him who loved us. That never changed. That never changed. He still has plans and purposes for each of our lives. He saved us with a purpose. And sure, it's dark out there, but we have a, we have a job to do still. The fight isn't over yet. The fight for lost souls, I should say, isn't over yet. We're still the apple of his eye. He still loves us like crazy. If he had to come back and suffer and die again, he'd totally do it because he loves us so much. We can't forget that. We do forget. And I don't know if you guys still do this because I was gone for a while, but we forget that I am a child of God, destined to make a difference. I will not doubt or fear in the face of adversity. Do we forget this thing? Do we still do this thing? Every now and then. I am committed to God's will for my life. I had to write it down because I actually forgot it. But I was gone for a while, so I get grace. Can I read it again? Okay. Because it's so good. I am a child of God destined to make a difference. I will not doubt or fear in the face of adversity. I am committed to God's will for my life. No matter what opposition may come, I will praise God for every blessing and through every trial, for he will never fail me. I will put God first every day of my life that I may hear him say, well done. You know what? Like, like Pastor Barry, God gave him that thing. What was that? 2006? 2005-ish, that thing is still true today. That's still, and you know what? It's like for us as CCT. That thing, God gave Barry that thing for us, and that's who we are. Children of God, destined to make a difference in this lost and broken world. So even after this angelic encounter that Gideon has, um, he still wanted to make clear to God that God had the wrong guy. I love that. And he like makes this excuse in verse 15 that like he had the small he was from the smallest tribe and his clan was the smallest clan and he's like hey and me I'm kind of you know I'm not I don't got any muscles and I just kind of imagine that if you watch cartoons when you were a kid you know like the inverted muscle you know like when they go like this it doesn't go like this it goes like this you know he was just he just was he was like hey hey I don't got it I don't got it I'll tell you something about this with Gideon. It was so super healthy. It was so super healthy because you know what? He was going to move forward and any progress, all the glory was going to go to God because he couldn't lean on his own strength. He couldn't lean on his family connections. He couldn't lean on his military might. He was going to discover as he moved forward in this thing that 
Since God's all, all I got, God's all I need. You figure that out in those times. When God's all you got, he's actually all you need. Another story from South Africa. I got millions of them. It was such an amazing time of my life. It really was. Whew. But, um, you know, we showed up there. And uh, the, the whole plan, like we sold everything. We didn't really know what we were going to do. <laughs> like it was a total leap of faith. And so we got there and it was like we reached out into the community and we did outreach, evangelism and stuff like that. And uh, I led worship at Calvary Chapel Parle under Pastor Mike, who'd kind of broken the ground and gotten the church going. After six months, guys, six months, he's all, hey, I'm going back to Los Angeles. You want to take over the church? You know what I said? I don't got it. <laughs> I don't got it. I was a youth pastor, you know, here at CCT for eight years, but I didn't have experience in leading a church. It's hard. You know what I mean? I avoid that kind of stuff, you know, honestly. You want to take it over? And I prayed, and the Lord's like, you got to do this. And I was like, whoa. But I tell you, those beginning years when I had nothing, I had nothing. No, ex no experience, education in that area. The Lord moved. The Lord so moved in those years. Added people to the church. Added great Christians. to. It was amazing. It was an amazing time, but I have to give all the glory to God because I just didn't have it. 2 Corinthians 12.10 Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. This isn't just power of positive thinking, guys. This is truth. Like whatever you're facing in your life right now, maybe you feel super outgunned, super outnumbered, super unprepared. Like you're looking at situation, you're just going, I don't got it. God's like, perfect as he rolls up his sleeves and he's like let's get started because when you're weak he is strong he's able to show up and and do the thing and then all the credit goes to him all the glory goes to him so verse 17 Gideon asks God for a sign and um, I'm not going to read it but verses 19 through 24 um, Gideon kind of puts God to the test, puts, a, uh, puts a, some meat out and uh, some unleavened bread and douses the whole thing with broth. And, uh, and the angel of the Lord comes over and touches it with his staff and fire comes out of the rock and consumes the offering. I mean, I can't even get my barbecue lit sometimes. And he's just like, boop, and it just, poof, I mean, out of a rock. And so this is a very notable miracle for sure. And Gideon feels at that point like, okay, God is with me. Super. And verse 24, Gideon calls the place Yahweh Shalom, or God is, God is peace, or the God my peace. And um, I think that word peace has lost its meaning through the years because we're kind of like, peace, man. There's a lot more to it, though, in Jewish culture. 
Um, the, the definition is, is deep. It's, it's pregnant with meaning. We know that you know, Jews use shalom as a greeting. But I mean, it, and it comes with it the, the, the meaning that we have in the West of calmness and you know, stillness. But it also brings about like this idea of fullness and wholeness of body and mind and spirit. It's, a, it's a, the idea of fullness. And what's so cool is Gideon calls this place Jehovah my peace. Because he's like, I don't got it, but in God I do. In, in God's fullness, I'm full. I'm going to be okay in this situation. So notice verses 25 through 32. He says, Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. And take the, sec- the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image, which you shall cut down. <laughs> I love it. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as, as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. <laughs> And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down, and the second bull was being offered on the altar which uh, had been built. So they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, the son uh, has done this thing. The um, The men of... The men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, because he has torn down the altar of Baal, and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. And Joash said to all that stood against it, you, um, Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself, because his altar has been torn down. Therefore on that day they called him Jerubbabel, or drub Baal, saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down this altar. So Gideon has this calling from God. And where's the first place he goes? He doesn't go straight to the Midianites to go fight him. He goes home first. And I got to say, like anytime you feel a call from the Lord, anytime you have an encounter with God and you're like, I'm going to the nations, I'm going to pursue this ministry. I'm going to do this thing. You got to go home first. You got to make sure you're loving your family first. You're loving your wife as Christ loves the church and your, your children with all your heart. That's got to, it's got to start at home first. Because as I said, idolatry was rampant in Israel and his family was all wrapped up in it too. If you noticed, it said there was an altar to Baal at his dad's house. The whole community would come to his dad's house to worship Baal. That's how messed up things were at home. Now remember, idolatry was the problem. It's why they couldn't see straight. It's why they ended up in this whole predicament to start with. And so Gideon starts at the source. And he goes home and he tears down these idols. You know, I said it before, but idols mess us up, guys. 
they mess us up. And you know, I don't mean statues and I don't mean little Buddha things and neck. I'm talking about money. I'm talking about sex. I'm talking about power. I'm talking about relationships. I'm talking about being liked. I'm talking about promotions at work and sports. In and of themselves, they're not bad. They're not evil. But we sure make them that when we, put, when they, when we elevate them above the Lord God in our lives. Stuff that like started out good. Stuff that started out like, oh, you know, I enjoy this or this friendship or whatever. And our hearts begin to elevate those things and those people above the Lord. Look at clubs. Nothing wrong with a club. But look at all the different clubs out there. Car clubs, math club. How did that happen? You know what I mean? Math club. It's like, you know, I love... I, I'm, I'm going to leave that one alone. Because I just go like, at school, like, like the math class was enough. Like you want to do more after school? Like in your free time? Do that. I've heard of knitting clubs before. But I mean, it's like, it's like we take these things and clubs are fine. Clubs are fine. But we got to be careful. Because our hearts cling to stuff. We get into stuff. And a great gauge to see if something's an idol or not is where do you put all your time? Where do you invest all your money? Where do you invest all your talent? There's your idol right there. Anything that stands in the way of our God. You know, the writer to Hebrew in, in uh, the book of Hebrews in 12.1, very familiar passage, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We got to look at our walk with Jesus like a long distance run. It's not a sprint. It's not like a, you know, stroll through the park. It's an endurance run. Every day we wake up, it's like we got to be on. We got to be on. We can't have a bunch of weight and we can't have our focus shifted to the right or to the left. It's an endurance run. Any runners here? Anybody like to run? Like running, that's like math club. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. But you know, like, like if you're going to run 15 miles, okay, you're not going to pack a backpack full of snacks, bottled water, and a backpack. Or I mean a sleeping bag. Right, Emma? That'd be a bad idea. All that weight's going to weigh you down and slow you down. You're never even going to finish. Because weight ain't great. And it rhymes, so it's true. <laughs> David Guzik, uh, the pastor at Calvary Chapel, um, Santa Barbara. He's a great, great Bible teacher. He, he um, told the story of, of a woman in his church that had this dream. And, uh, and, and it was of, um, she was in, she was like in the rapture. It was like, happening and she was watching all these people shooting up but she was going up like super slow this is not a theological anything this doesn't it's not how it's going to happen it was a dream you know but she was going up super slow and she looked down and there was a rope tied to her ankle and and at the the other side of the rope was all her living room furniture and she's just going up super slow and she woke up and she's like 
she got it. I think that's a lot of us. Like there's stuff that's slowing us down. Maybe it's not living room furniture, but it's something. And we got to be honest when we look at our lives. We got to be real about it. Because man, we deceive ourselves sometimes. And you got to ask yourself, like am I allowing stuff that used to be enjoyable, that used to just be like a thing that I did, become an idol in my life. In my relationship with Jesus, was I like a hardcore running for Jesus, worshiping Jesus, on fire for Jesus, and now I'm just worn out and tired and barely want to go to church? What happens? Is it because there's weight? Is it because stuff is slowing us down? Well, it's awesome because Gideon... He didn't hold back. He did go at nighttime and tear the, the, the temple down, but he did it. He did it, right? He tore that, that, the, the temple down. You know that Gideon's name means hacker? It does, literally. It means hacker. You could look it up. Not like hacker, you know, dark hoodie, Mountain Dew. Not that kind of hacker, but like... <laughs> but he like... It's so cool because God gave him this opportunity to live up to his name, walk in his identity. He took it and he did it. Did you notice the influence that Gideon had on his family? Did you notice that? You know, that all the people from the city come and they, they're like, you know, to Gideon's dad. What are you going to do about this, Gideon's dad? Joash was his name. And, and Joash says, hey, we've been worshiping this idol Baal. If he's so strong then he should be able to defend himself. You know what I mean? And this is the transition point right here, guys. This is so super cool because this is where it begins to turn. People are going like, wait, 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 wait. Yahweh is our God. Wait, 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 wait. We've had it all wrong for the past seven years. And we're seeing this thing begin to change. Now, I would think that after this encounter that he had with the angel, after this amazing victory, that Gideon would be like, cool, let's do it. It's on. But it doesn't work that way. He asks for yet another sign. So let's finish up with verses 33 through 40. And it says, Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, then he blew the trumpet, and the Abazirites gathered, I can't say that. What is it? Abazirites, I'll go with that. And he sent messengers throughout Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. And he also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet him. So Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, um, I, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And it was so. When he rose uh, early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. But let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew 
on the ground. Um, we've heard that story before. Some of us have put out fleeces before, asking God like, hey, if this thing happens like this, then I know you're with me, or I know I should do this and, or that or whatever, right? We've, maybe some of us have done that before, but I think it's amazing. Because Gideon's like, hey, drench the fleece, make sure the ground is dry, and what does God say? What did God do? He's like, no, you're crazy, Gideon. I'm not going to do that. You know, like he entertains it. And he answers Gideon in this thing. Then Gideon flips it around and asks the other thing, and, and God doesn't. God's like, okay. And next week we'll look at this, because Gideon actually questions the Lord four times in, in, the, in, the next, in these two chapters. And God doesn't, isn't like, nah, it's too big of an ask, Gideon. But he entertains it but all, all four times. But just by way of closing, you know, as I thought about this, like what was up with Gideon? Like, why is he doubting so much? You know, he makes the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. But as I thought about it, you know, Gideon wasn't, I think Gideon believed that God could effortlessly wipe out the Midianites. I don't think that was the problem. He was worried that God wouldn't be with him. He was worried that if he went, he was going to go alone. And that terrified him. That freaked him out. This is kind of different than Moses. Remember when Moses has that encounter with God at the burning bush? He's like, they're not going to receive me. Speaking of the Israelites, they're not going to listen to me. They're not going to follow me. This is different than that. Gideon was just like, I don't want to go alone. I don't want to do this thing on my own. And I just want to say this, church. Like, what are the battles you're fighting today? What are the things that you're, you're dealing with? And maybe you're like Gideon here. You're like, I don't got it. I don't got it. And we sang all these songs about battles and stuff like that. And we're just like, I had a lot of battles. I had a lot of battles going on. And maybe you're like, I, I, I just don't got it. But I'm telling you what. This is good. Because we're, we're supposed to walk by faith and not by sight. We're supposed to live each day like connected and trusting him for everything. We do so many things without even running it by God. We live our lives like totally under control. And then this kind of stuff happens where we got a battle on our hands and we don't got what it takes. You're on holy ground now. Because it's all on him. Brothers and sisters, when we are weak, he is strong. And whatever it is you're facing today, whatever it is, you can, tr you can trust. And you don't have to fear. And that prophetic word that went out into the caves and went out into the dens, it goes out into each of your lives and each of your circumstances. Do not fear. Do not fear. Amen. God, I thank you so much for this time this morning, Lord. And this just this amazing passage of Scripture. And we just did a flyover. Like, we could, we could spend 
weeks in this thing, dissecting all the little nuances throughout it, God. And it's just amazing. And I, I really pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters that find themselves in, in seasons of difficulty. God, find themselves in, in, in places, maybe it's financially, maybe it's, it's in relationships, it's, it's in family, what, whatever the case might be, God, I pray that they will be holding fast to you, God, that they will be trusting you. And like that song said this morning, that when I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. God, the battle belongs to you. And I pray, Lord, that those that are just laden with fears and burdens, God, over the, the situations that they're facing, that, God, they will roll those burdens off onto you this morning and that they will leave this place free. They will leave this place lighter than when they came in, recognizing, acknowledging that you are their child and you love them and that these battles are, these battles are your battles, God. So I just pray for each and every one of us, Lord, you, you'd help us to trust you. Like that man that brought his son to Jesus and he said, I believe God, but help my unbelief. Lord, just help us to get our eyes on you this morning. We love you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.